Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, we have a Bill Morrow with us uh, from Langhorne uh, Carpet Company. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, there's not too much. I uh, grew up outside of Philadelphia um, and basically grew up in this carpet business. It's been in my family. Uh, my grandfather, great-grandfather started it. So that was sort of my... Uh, that's my history in terms of the uh, of the carpet world. Yes. Um, and was that something that you always wanted to do, or? Uh, it was, you know, it, it, it's funny when you when you grow up uh, in the you know you're in the business. I worked there in the summers. I came right. as a little kid. I would I would visit vendors with my my father and my grandfather when I was a child and. Um, I don't think I'd actually planned on it. It just, uh, when I got out of college, I just decided that, that I thought that's what I would like to do. Yeah. I, I, I think that that, that happens a lot. It, it, it's, I, I also grew up in a family business and then went to do my own thing for a couple of years, but then I came back. So I, 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 I get it. <laughs> and actually my husband started working for my father before I did. So that people think that's funny when, when I, when I tell them, I'm like, yeah, he did. <laughs> that makes it family. <laughs> it does. Definitely. So, um, so tell me a little bit about the history of the company. Well, the, the, the company started in 1930. Um, my grandfather and great-grandfather had been in the carpet business in Philadelphia at a place called Hearst Rogers, which was owned by another family. Uh, and that business was closing down. My great-grandfather retired. My grandfather uh, went back to teaching. And then uh, my great-grandfather got a call from a friend and said, hey, do you want to get back into the carpet business? And my great-grandfather said, sure, why not? <laughs> and he ended up going to Detroit and buying six 27-inch looms from Henry Ford. Uh, because Henry Ford, uh, as you may or may not know, was trying to run a vertical monopoly. He wanted to control all aspects of his auto making. And in those days, the carpet that yeah. went into cars was Wilton's. Okay. But he, uh, he got the looms up there and couldn't get them running, so he just wanted to get rid of them. So we went, my great-grandfather went up there, purchased them, and shipped them uh, to uh, 
uh, what is now called Pendell, Pennsylvania. In those days, it was known as South Langhorn, hence the name Langhorn Carpet. People sort of wonder why we're called Langhorn and, and <laughs> Pendell, but they changed the name after the Second World War to Pendell. But anyway, there was a train station here, and uh, also there was a building that had been built in 1907, and it was the first mill in the area built with a freestanding roof so that the interior of the building is wide open. If you go into earlier right. buildings, there's pillars everywhere. Mm -hmm. And when you see the looms, even the small looms, they take up a great deal of space as to some of the other equipment. Uh, also, as time went by, we were able to purchase broad looms. Uh, I mean, the width of a broad loom is, is 30 some feet. So you need, uh, you need large, large open spaces makes right. life a lot easier. And so, so that's where they started. They took over the first half of the building. The back half was a hosiery, and stayed a hosiery until just after World War II and they left. And then we took over the rest of the building. Uh, and, and over time expanded a little bit to the, uh, to the footprint that we have now. That's, um, that, that's interesting to me because I hadn't even thought about like the, having to change the construction so you can have open open but yeah it, in a shop space it makes it makes it much easier if you have you know open space rather than having to work around you know partitions. Yes, if you've ever had a chance to visit mills in philadelphia um and just because i know philadelphia right um, there were a lot of carpet mills in philadelphia in fact most of the carpet in the early uh 20th century was made in Philadelphia, most of the carpet in America, and so there were dozens of mills. And when you would go down to these old mills, you would see the the, 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 the machines angled in here and there, getting them between the yeah. getting them between the pillars. And, uh, and and for a lot of corporations, just having open space is just so much easier to work. It is, yeah. I'm thinking about when we when we're laying out a shop space because you know we're primarily woodworkers. You know, mm -hmm. we. 16 feet in front of the machine, 16 feet, you know, behind yeah. it. <laughs> you know, so you, need, you need to be able to move the materials in and out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. So um, tell me about the products and services that you that you offer. Well, I mean, we are a, we weave Wilson carpets. They are made on a Wilton Jacquard loom. Uh, it's a specific style of carpet loom. Um, if you, for those who aren't familiar, which most aren't, it basically is mechanized hand weaving. If you've ever seen somebody hand weave and they're pushing a shuttle back and forth and they're pulling their reeds back and forth, that's basically how a Wilton carpet loom works. And the Wilton carpet looms were the first of the automated carpet loom designs, uh, designed in the late 1900s or late. Uh, 1700s um, and the jack card which actually the first ones didn't have jack cards on them uh, that was developed in 1812 by a Frenchman named Jack card and what it enabled uh, the carpet makers to do was to create pattern faster than they previously had to do manually because now they had an automatic machine on the top of the loom that read from punch cards not unlike what you would see in the old 
computers. If you grew up in the early days of computers and you had your stack of punch cards, right? It's a similar idea for a Wilson loop. And then that that puts the pattern into I That's guess what creates the pattern of the carpet. Okay. So it knows like where to put the different colors and which colors. Yes. Well, it's a combination of the jacquard and also the way the colors are placed in the back of the loom because oh, yeah. uh, by placing colors in different spots, you can bring them up in different places in a pattern. So it's a combined effort of the way the yarns are actually where they're tied into the loom and the jacquard bringing those looms up to the surface to, to create the face of the carpet. That, that makes sense to me. So you, you make the, the carpet. So is it most, is it, you're, are you limited by the, the, I guess the loom width? So then do you have to sew them together? Well, we have originally looms were 27 inches wide. Okay. And I don't know why they picked 27 inch. <laughs> uh, I've been told it when in the, initially because of the, however the power was created, generated for the loom, that was as far as they could throw a shuttle. Okay. And so generally, so we still have 27 inch looms. We also have 36 inch looms, nine foot looms and 12 foot looms. Okay. Uh, most of our general products for the public are made in 12 foot. Uh, specialty items and especially reproductions and restoration goods are done in 27 inch because that's how they were originally made. And obviously you want as authentic a look as you can get uh, right. when you're restoring a home or a building. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me. Because I did, I, when I was on the website preparing uh, for, for our uh, interview today, I did notice that you do like custom also. So it's not, you, you can match historic um, patterns yes. and, and those, but then well, you We do, I mean, people can come to us and we can weave their initials in the carpet. We can put their family crest in the carpet. Um, we're weaving one now for a customer where he took one of our old designs that had dates in it as part of the pattern and we're changing the dates in it so they match the dates that his house was built oh so, yeah you know his house was built in 1751 so he wanted that in the carpet <laughs> yeah that's that's fun that's fun and i think it's also and i we had a couple weeks ago i interviewed a, a block wallpaper company sure. and he was talking about, you know, that they, they a lot of times some of their custom work is, you know, taking the old patterns, but then the designer wants to add like brighter colors, you know, just non-traditional oh. colors. And when I was on your website, I was I thought I was seeing some things like that too. Well, there's there, yeah. there, there's two types basically of of well to simplify it of doing reproduction or restoration work is is one where you have um, a house, for instance, we're we're working on. Uh, Mary Baker Eddy's house in Boston, the lady who founded the Christian Science Movement. And we're doing any number of rooms. Well, they have the original carpet. Right. So we are carpet, we are copying that as check for check so that you get it. And we are trying to match the colors as best we can working with hundred year old carpet right. to get it to look as, you know, as much as it did on the original when it was originally put in. Right. Yeah. On, oftentimes you'll do some private homes where people have a Victorian home or even a colonial home. And they'd love to have the patterns. They want to do it in the styles, but but the traditional colors, especially Victorian colors, were, were very, very bright, basically because especially at night, the rooms were dark. They were right. 
there was a little bit of electric later on, but a lot of it was gas lamps. So if you had dark colors in your carpet, it was dark. So you'd like to have bright colors in your carpet. So oftentimes there's that um, that sort of, and that's generally for private homes where they want right. it, they want the feeling, but mm -hmm. they want it in modern colors. And you have that flexibility. Like I, and I always, yeah, that's the, that's one thing that I often will tell people is like, as long as it can be undone, you're not doing anything that's going to hurt the house. It needs to be something you're going to be happy living in. Yes, you have to live there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So I know you mentioned a couple of your of your projects, but are, I know you have a long list of notable projects on your website. But do you want to mention a couple and talk? Well, I mean, about right them? now they're installing Congress Hall in Philadelphia. Uh, this is actually the third time we've done it. We've done it. We started the first one was around 1980, and then it was every and about every 20 years since then we've replaced the carpet. So it's gone down and stayed for 20 years, which certainly says something for the durability of it. Right, because I'm sure that gets a lot of traffic. Yes, and and I mean the other places we've done: Old Boston State House, Frederick Douglass's house. Um, we're doing the Grundy Mansion in Bristol right now, Bristol, Pennsylvania. Uh, two years ago, we did Rutherford Hayes' house. I mean, ultimately, if, as far as the Park Service and the government's concerned, if you're doing a Wilton um, restoration in this country, you should be coming to us. We are the only mill in America that can do it. Right. Um, there is one other mill in America that makes traditional Wiltons, but they do mostly or almost exclusively Broadland carpet. And uh, we still have the narrow looms. So um, we try to get ourselves out there in front of the Park Service so they remember <laughs> us. Right. And as long as it's a Wilton, uh, generally we can copy it. Although Wiltons, uh, like lots of types of equipment, there wasn't one set um construction that every mill used some mills had slightly different what we would call pitches um where they which is the number of ends across 27 inch some are wider some are narrower and uh you know we have all the ones that we have used which tend to be the most traditional but uh generally if it's a wilton we can copy it uh what we've also done is copied um what they call drum print velvets, uh, which were which were carpets. But actually, my great grandfather—that's what he originally did—was they would take a carpet and just weave a solid color, and then they would print it. But they oh. wouldn't print it in the in the way we imagine it, with like a silk screen or something. Uh -huh. They would print all the yarns individually, so that when those yarns ran over, uh, ran into the loom over the pile wires at a certain height, at a certain number per inch, it would create a pattern. If you changed any of those, any of those parameters, it would become an abstraction. Okay. And so how they did it, even though my great grandfather designed them, I don't know quite how they did it. They right. worked the drums somehow. And, uh, but again, the interesting thing is they were knockoffs of Wilton's because they used about 15 to 20 percent of the amount of carpet that a comparable Wilton would use. Oh. So in the days when labor was cheap and materials were expensive, they didn't mind doing a lot of labor. Right. And so therefore, they could make a less expensive piece of goods. 
Right. So this was this that was that then like a less expensive option. Yes, it's a less expensive. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And it probably not that it wasn't difficult to set up, but it was. But it was labor. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, and labor yeah. was cheap. Right. Right. So um, I I saw that you use most or all I guess all natural natural wools and and materials. Well, the, the face of the carpet is okay. is is a hundred percent natural. We use wool um, and worsted wool. Uh, I mean, if someone came to me and said for some whatever reason that they had to have nylon, I could do it. Okay. I usually ask them why. They're, I don't see the point. We have done <laughs> cotton for people because. Right. They, something softer we can weave with linen um you know just and, and these are done just for effect for they somebody who wants a different look and, and and if you weave linen and you have one color of linen and one color of wool and you mix them together it gives you a very interesting contrast not just in colors but textures so we do right. we do those kind of things because we do a lot of specialty custom work uh, the backing of the carpet is mostly cotton and jute However, we do use a little polyester in our fine chain. Uh, and also in the filling yard is 50-50 poly cotton. Um, we, we have not eliminated that yet. I have tried some other things, but at this point I haven't found the sources that they used 100 years ago. I'm not quite sure how they ran without those materials, but right. it leaves us running around 90 or 95% biodegradable and renewable yeah that's that's great um does the using the natural materials does that create like um if somebody's maintaining their carpet does do they just need to vacuum it or are there are special things that they need I mean, natural, you, you, you put natural materials on the floor i mean i mean right off the bat wool doesn't burn right if your house catches on fire you have like four times as long to get out if you have wool carpet then if you right yes i i, I was then, yeah and, and when you're in uh, and when you're in a fire it, it, it doesn't give off uh harsh chem it doesn't give off noxious fumes um wool moisture in the air in your room when the humidity rises the wool will absorb the moisture and then as the room uh dries out it will release the moisture however it will pull all the pollens and dirt that was in the air when they pulled the moisture in and it'll keep it in the carpet one reason you need to vacuum it because it's actually filtering your air okay um it, it's i always say you, you you know you want natural fibers on your floors for the same reason you want to wear natural fibers right you know i mean not to mention that they're biode they're biodegradable and renewable and you know um, you know or just more comfortable yeah i i agree with you and i was um when i was i think you had something about the flammability on the website because that made me think that flammability is a big thing i mean yeah. there was a time when all planes were required to have wool carpet in them but now they just treat them with like a retardant yeah the um 
the yeah because i know there there was a video that i saw of like a, a room full of like traditional building materials and a room full of modern building materials and you know which room is gonna was gonna you know sure. completely Absolutely. engulfed in flames so it it makes sense to me to look at the entirety of of the interior and make sure that you you know for animals and, and for right. animals and children crawling on the floor it's nice to have them on a on, on a natural fiber rather than a synthetic yeah that that makes sense to me and i think that's an an important point that i don't know if everybody thinks about maybe they're just thinking about it from a historic aspect but yes. i think from a from a living in the in the building and and having the building be as healthy as possible i think that's also very important absolutely yeah so um what uh, or is there what do you wish that you knew when you started that you know now I wish I knew how popular restoration work was going to become because oh, I yeah. would have, as uh, uh, the years I've been here, slowly one after another, various Wilton Mills closed and they all had their design libraries, but nobody ever thought to buy them. We were, you know, oh, you were yeah. of the mindset, well, who's going to want these old things? <laughs> and, now, <laughs> and now I just yeah. wish I had that to, uh, because uh, just, it would just be a wonderful archive to have. Yeah, I actually was, um, and it's not exactly the same, but I was doing some research uh, for one of my consulting projects and um, that was about the historic, um, like the local historic significance of a building. And the woman who had lived in the building, she, her, she was a hook, um, hook rug maker and sure. all of her patterns are at the historical society here and i didn't even realize that would be something that they would have <laughs> well it's, it's it yeah. really is it's it's, it's yeah. a history and, and and then of course the older uh, designs are all hand done they're really like pieces of art they're painted yes yeah and uh you know you could frame them and put them on the wall so, I mean, there was a lot of effort to get into it. I mean, that's one thing now about that, that's good about computers is the fact that we, can, that we can replicate them quickly so we don't have to worry about, you know, it used to be once you had a check paper, somebody would say, mail it to me, and you'd say, no way. <laughs> I don't want to risk getting it lost because right. it all be created again. Oh, that's so true. Yeah, I, I get, I, I forget sometimes how spoiled we are to be able to just like scan something and send it off. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. So what, um, what challenges or trends do you see in, in preservation? Um, I don't, I mean, I don't think there's, I mean, the trend in preservation is just more people doing it. Okay. Um, um, I think uh, it's become, um, a bigger, I mean, at least from the carpet point of view, people are now looking at carpet as, as more importantly as being an intricate part of the restoration. I mean, right. it used to be people would come in and they're looking at the draperies and they're looking at the woodworking and, you know, they're sort of looking at the floor and, and of course, sadly, oftentimes the floor is the most beat up, so it's hardest to tell what's there. <laughs> people are really making an effort to uh, to get the right floor coverings uh, and uh, and use them in their restorations and of course it's it's fun there's nothing more exciting than working on a, on a restoration uh, doing the historic work on it and of course some of these I mean we've we've had we've done designs where the best they could give us was a black and white photograph oh and my goodness it yeah. had five colors in it <laughs> you do your best to try and right. bring out at least the feeling of that design. 
So I, I, I could, I, yeah. It's just that more and more people are into it. I think more and more people are into taking their home. And of course, now if your home's 1920 or 1950, right? You know, you're looking at doing a reproduction or, an, or a restoration piece. I mean, you know, arts and crafts. I mean, Frank Lloyd Wright designed carpet. You know, I mean, and uh, you know, and as you and you start as you get into the even the '60s, you know, a lot of the of the of the architects were designing furniture and carpet. Right to go into the houses, yeah. Exactly. That those those the that mid-century modern is is very popular. Yep. Yeah. So is there anything that I forgot to, to ask you about or that you thought about while we were talking that you wanted to, to kind of bring up or highlight? No, I just, okay. just said, uh, I mean, I guess we're, we're probably one of the, uh, the best well-kept secrets in America. Well, I hope uh, that I mean, at this point, <laughs> for the narrow goods, for the 27-inch loom, I think we're down to about maybe six or so manufacturers in the world that are oh, still doing goodness. it. Oh, my goodness, yeah. So, uh, so if anybody's looking, we are here in America. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. Actually, we, I don't know if Laura mentioned when she reached out to you about doing the podcast, but um, I, we found out about you because we did a ghost mural podcast with, um, oh, I can't think of his first name, from um, Temple University. And he, he mentioned your pro doing the, the mural on the side of your building. As, oh yeah yes 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 yeah. and um and she and um and when when she listened to it she was like danielle do you think they would be a good podcast guest so i i'm glad that we found out about you too well yeah there are you know yeah. there's a there's a number of little little um places around where I, i'm not quite sure where are you located we're in lancaster oh okay yeah. i mean there's a there's a place um 20 minutes down the mill from me, it's called Stone Mills that makes braided rugs. It's a two-man operation that still makes braided rugs by, you know, uh, custom braided rugs. There's, there's lots of little, it's funny that there are lots of little, not lots, but there's a few right. little specialty people still hanging out here and there trying to stay in the niche markets, you know, for, uh, and a lot of times for historical things. Yes, yeah, that that is that is interesting, but I think it's 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 also important because then that because you know as you know all the other looms closed and you lost that yeah. knowledge, you know it's really important work too to to well, keep. Yeah, I mean, once it's gone, it's gone. Right. Right. Yes. So, is there anything that you have to promote? I I know no people aren't doing lectures or anything or having events, but is there anything that you wanted to to promote? No, not uh, okay. you know. I mean, we're like everybody else. We're just uh, working along here, trying yes. to keep busy. And things are tough. It's uh, I mean, now a lot of the competition, especially for not for reproduction, but for general broadloom, which is the, is the majority of our businesses. It's from China, India, places oh, where yeah. obviously labor is cheap, you know, and uh, so we're that that's you know we're constantly trying to battle that. But uh, other than that, uh, no, we're uh, you know constantly working to come out with new lines, new colors. That's always the trick of the trade. <laughs> what are people going to buy? What's the right. hot color? Yeah. So that's where we are. So how can how can someone contact you? Uh, the, well, they can email us at uh, sales. S A L E S at Langhorn L A N G H O R N E 
carpets, C-A-R-P-T-S dot com. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and also they can always call the mill if they're local. Okay. Uh, it's 215-757-5155. Uh, people are welcome to come to the mill to look for carpet. Uh, we also occasionally give tours. Uh, obviously not in the COVID time, but right. uh, hopefully this will be over at some point. So we do give tours because our mill is pretty much what a mill would have looked like in 1890. So oh, it's yeah. kind of fun for people to come and see it. Very good. Well, thank you very much for, for coming on today. I'm, I enjoyed our I enjoyed our conversation. It's good fun. Yes, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.